Welcome to the Vertiguys show. I'm Eric. I'm Sean. And we are the Vertiguys. We're checking out the dark side of DC Comics. We are here to recap and review Vertigo Comics starting with the big three. Sandman, Hellblazer, Preacher. I guess we've started a while ago, but we're still working on the big three. <laughs> yes. And today we are covering Preacher Special, Tall in the Saddle. Written by Garth Ennis. Pencils by Steve Dillon. Inks by John McRae. Colors by Pamela Rambo. And a cover by Glenn Fabry. Steve Dillon usually inks his own part, right? Uh, yeah, on this series, Steve Dillon is usually inker as well as penciler. Interesting. Is this the only Preacher special where we get Steve Dillon art? No, Blood and Whiskey is definitely him too. Okay, yeah, that's right. But I know that a couple of the others had guest artists. Yeah. Do you know when this came out? Okay, so Preacher 54, which was the last issue we covered, dropped October 1999. Mm -hmm. Preacher Tall in the Saddle dropped February 2000. Okay, so it's coming up a little bit later in the continuity. This story takes place before the entire series. Right. It's a prequel. Right, but came out very late in the run, it sounds like. Yep. Does Tall in the Saddle mean anything in particular? I always thought it meant, like, just proud. Yeah, well, I, I thought so, too. I don't know if it has, like, a, another meaning that puts some kind of irony on this, but I always thought the title just kind of meant Jesse Custer sure is a cool guy. <laughs> Preacher special, Jesse Custer is cool as hell. <laughs> oh, it's also a uh, 1944 film starring John Wayne. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense, because there's a lot of John Wayne references in this. Well, okay, let's talk about this cover, which is by Glenn Fabry. Another beautiful Glenn Fabry cover. We've got this gorgeous arid western landscape. There's a horsed cowboy in the lower right hand, approaching a dead tree with a noose on it. And what appears to be a horse skull in the background. Yeah, this giant looming horse skull. So we don't need a lot of recap because this is a prequel, but basically understand that Jesse Custer grew up in the deep, deep south the nastiest part of the South, ran away from home, and ended up meeting a girl named Tulip O'Hare and stealing cars with her. Yeah, and there's, I, I think we should maybe recap a little bit, because I think there's some undertones here mm -hmm. of Cassidy, even okay. though Cassidy's not in it. So, Jesse and Tulip are a very committed and loving couple. They have this friend, Amy, who they have a very committed friendship with. Yeah, Amy um, is Tulip's best friend from school. Very close friends from very young. Yeah, and Amy is the one who kind of... Well, I guess she didn't really do anything about the whole Cassidy situation, but she has on a couple of different occasions been the one to, like, to perceive and to understand that, like, Cassidy coming between Tulip and Jesse is just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, that's true. And Amy is sort of accidentally the impetus for this entire story. She is filthy fucking rich, and she convinced Tulip to take a year off before college and go explore America, which is how they ran into Jesse and this got started. Right. 
There is another issue where we see Tulip and Jesse's first meeting. In fact, we covered it quite recently. Yeah. Uh, so this is actually not the earliest thing. Well, I guess we see Jesse's childhood, too, yeah. and Sean, his father's stuff in Vietnam. So it's not, it's by far not the earliest content that we've seen, but it does take place before the beginning of the series. Yeah. And Jesse is a little bit, a little bit not fully formed at this point. Right. This is gorgeous young Jesse, who we open on on the first page. Yeah, we get a very abrupt intro, this smash cut on Jesse's face. Tulip's behind him, but she's half out of frame, so he's very much the focus of this panel. I ain't stealing no horses. Yeah, the narration tells us that everything was going great until Jesse opened his mouth and said that. Yeah, his big Texas mouth. He also has big Texan heels, we are told. Probably from those big boots they're always wearing. Right. And he's also got fantastic hair in this panel. We're led in right away to understand that this is Jesse in his young and stupid days. He's principled, but he's still sort of figuring out what that means. He's selfish, but he sort of draws lines around hurting anyone. The horse thing is an eccentricity of his, and it's weird, and I'm going to come back to this. Because it feels to me kind of like he's taking this principle arbitrarily, almost in order to be able to say he has principles. Okay. Yeah, and so we, we open here in media res, and his sort of boss, a guy named Langtree is saying, oh, you ain't. Yeah, Langtree immediately screams rich Texan. He's got a big cowboy hat and silver lapel points. Now, at this point, Langtree's thug Donnie jumps in. Well, you might want to think about that, Custer. Might want to think about doing whatever the hell Mr. Langtree tells you to do. Shut up, Donnie. You're out of your element, Donnie. <laughs> Don't have to steal him. Already been stole. All you gotta do is drive a trailer load of the damn nags I got waiting down in Mule Shoe. But it makes no difference to Jesse. He is not getting involved in stolen horses. And on this panel, we see that Amy is there, too. Yeah. Not just Jesse and Tulip. Amy's part of Jesse's little gang. Yeah, so Langtree reminds Jesse that they still owe him a lot of money for the stolen cars that he lost. Still ain't told me how you lost them, neither. The narration says, nor did he ever, but here's how. Right, flashback to Jesse and Tulip fleeing in a stolen car. Tulip takes her top off to distract the lawman. Yeah, sort of weaponized sexiness here, as she laughingly shouts, Look at my tits! And we do. That's a little meta. <laughs> yeah, so the cops are so absorbed, they aren't ready for it when Jesse turns his car sideways and creates a little bit of a roadblock. The first cop just barely avoids hitting him, and Jesse peels off as all the cop cars plow into each other. Right, this Blues Brothers moment. Tulip, turned on by all this excitement, decides to have sex with Jesse right there in the moving car. Yeah, and she lets us know that it's not the strangest place they've ever had sex. Mm -hmm. And Jesse tells Tulip, we really can't stop, baby. She says, so don't. Right. We get this sort of Smokey and the Bandit physical comedy moment. All these cops stopped and looking stupefied as they climb out of their cars. One guy's head is thrust through the brim of his hat. Okay, so now we cut to Amy and Bobby. Now, Bobby's a character we're just meeting for the first time here. Or is he? Huh? He looks a good amount like Bobby Drake, Iceman. I don't think that's who it is. I think fair, compelling evidence is going to come out. Yeah, along. yeah, there's a, we, we see later. It can't be him. <laughs> well, when, he, when he doesn't use his ice powers, when they would have been really convenient. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. I was going to say, this could be a parallel universe. Oh, okay. He's this universe is Bobby Drake. He's this Not universe a is Bobby Drake. Right, yeah, there are no mutants in Preacher. 
Uh, well, I, okay, that's going a little far, but <laughs> yeah, but this guy's not one. And he is very worried. Okay, I read this guy at first as being Amy's boyfriend, but I guess that's not really established. He's just maybe just work for hire. Right. Anyway, they're waiting with the truck, this car carrier truck, to load the car that Jesse and Tulip are stealing. You know what? It's a little bit weird. There might be a slight implication that there's something going on between him and Amy because she complains that he wets the bed. Mm, yeah. And then in the next panel after that, she, she says, not yet, basically. So she has no way of knowing that he wets the bed. But, but it is a thing that she says, and it kind of creates this weird implication that maybe there's something going on between the two of them. Yeah, he also mentions that he doesn't want to do this job for anybody, which could mean even for his girlfriend, or it could just mean for someone fantabulously rich like Amy. Right. Bobby especially doesn't like working with Tulip and Jesse. She's addicted to GTA, and he'll do anything for kicks. He's a total psycho, Amy. So again, Jesse at the beginning of his career, a little bit more erratic. Yeah, and the way that he's kind of creating like an us-versus-them thing here, again, implies that they might be involved. Right. So Bobby's freaked out at the sight of the cops. He jumps in the truck and takes off, Amy yelling at him for being a wimp all the way. Yeah, now in the end, Jesse kind of barely has control of his car because Tulip is on top of him as he's trying to drive. Bobby seems to be rolling down a big hill and barely has control of this truck loaded up with stolen cars, this car carrier. The two cars collide, Bobby jumps out, and Amy gets behind the wheel of the car carrier and realizes, I can't drive this. Yeah, so now we see that they are all three headed for a cliff. Amy is freaking out, apologizing for all the bad things she's done in her life. I'm sorry I laughed at my dad when my mom ran away with a lesbian. I'm sorry I stole from the rich and never gave to the poor. So that confirms something that I thought was very subtly implied back in Even Hit Girls Get the Blues. Right. Jump, Amy! It's gonna go over! You've gotta jump now! What? Amy, jump! We see the truck barrel over the cliff. Then we see Amy land safe in the back of the convertible as Jesse screeches to a stop. And they watch the explosion. Yeah, they see one million dollars in stolen cars explode at the bottom of this ravine. What are you going to do about it, asshole? <laughs> back in the present day, Jesse still refuses to steal horses. Yeah, uh, Tulip points out that there's no loss to Langtree. He couldn't have made a loss on the cars because they never sold them to him. Right. But he says that he had outlay on the job, which he has now lost. Donnie jumps in and calls Jesse a whore, so... Right, no, he, he calls Tulip a whore. Oh, you're right, sorry. Tulip jumped in to say this thing. Tulip points out that Langtree didn't make a loss, and Donnie says... Place I come from, whores generally know to keep their mouths shut when men are doing business. So, Jesse kicks the shit out of him. As a matter of fact, he kicks the shit out of everybody. And when there's only one guy left, the guy is thinking about going for a piece in his waistband. Jesse is holding a shotgun like a club. Yeah, uh, another lovely piece of comic violence from Steve Dillon. Jesse's got the shotgun, this guy's rushing him. In the next panel, the shotgun is broken down the middle and this guy's unconscious. But before that happens, Jesse says, I wouldn't, partner, truly. Which is a John Wayne line. Yeah, yeah. We're through, Langtree. Be smart and let it go. Uh-huh, Langtree says. As they drive off, we see Langtree and his guys, who are slowly coming to, then pile in a car and drive off. And a third party is watching all this from a high cliff. Right, there's a sort of a hangman with binoculars here. We also see that he has a cowboy hat, 
And a shotgun. Yeah, this guy is super cowboy. And he says, The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Unless he wants a whooping, that is. Later, at a bar, Amy apologizes for hiring Bobby and getting the million dollars worth of cars blown up, but Jesse reassures her. Hell, me and Tulip would rather have our best friend alive than a lousy million dollars any day, right? Right, says Tulip. Thanks, you guys. Later, Jesse and Tulip are in bed, and here's where we start to see him have some principles. He's not sure about going on stealing cars forever. Sooner or later, someone's gonna get hurt that don't deserve it. Maybe a fella crossing the street, some old Johnny cop throws down on us. Gonna stop being fun real fast after that, baby. Such a wise head on those not-even-twenty-year-old shoulders. Just thinking. Yeah, and then Tulip takes the last... They have champagne and an ice bucket here, mm -hmm. which, considering we just found out they're both under 21, or at least Jesse is. Yeah. I've never met anybody under 21 who knew how to drink like this. You know, who knew how to use an ice bucket. But, <laughs> well... Maybe the incredibly cheap motel they're staying at knew to deliver the champagne in an ice bucket? Perhaps. Anyway, she dumps the champagne on Jesse's junk. Yeah! Which is funny. Yeah. Sometime later, Amy is standing outside when Jesse comes to join her. Yeah, she's still blaming herself for losing the million dollar deal. And for losing most of the money she inherited. She invested in a company with plans to relaunch Betamax. Yeah, she calls Bobby the biggest waste of space since Godzuki, which oh. I thought was really funny. <laughs> yeah, referring to the bumbling child Godzilla-saurus sidekick from the 1978 Godzilla animated series. If you've seen it, you know what she means. Still not as bad as Scrappy-Doo. Ooh, no, that's, that's true. Scrappy-Doo is the worst. Godzuki is like... <laughs> Scrappy-Doo is so bad that if you made a show about Godzuki and Scrappy-Doo... Scrappy-Doo would still be the Scrappy-Doo, and Godzuki would basically be Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, Godzuki attempts to fly, falls on his face and some shit, and then turns to Scrappy and says, you're embarrassing yourself. <laughs> right. Amy also mentions here that her father, the senator, was the only United States senator to die performing cunnilingus on a $10 crack whore, she says. Which changes the meaning of Senator Chokes on a Clam that we read on the newspaper in number 52. Oh, goodness. That's terrible. Garth Ennis. She, she says it got covered up, though. So maybe that's how they... Oh, I see. It's a... I, I think the newspaper, the newspaper writer was being clever. Right? The actual story says that he just choked on food. Ah. I see. But if it got covered up, then she can't know that he's the only one, right? Because we this is we true. They could be other covering it up, right? Any other senator who died the same way would have covered it up too. Yeah, yeah. He apparently suffocated while having sex with two coked-out hookers. Okay, so she's saying that she's the weak link in the group. She used to think it was Tulip. When I first met her, I thought I'd have to look after her, but no, she's strong and fast, and she always knows exactly what to do. You ain't weak. You're smart and funny and pretty as hell, and she's got you. The two of them have a long, soulful look at each other. They lean in for a kiss, and then Jesse stops and says, We can't. Right, they both love Tulip too much. Moment of madness. Sorry. Don't be. Takes two. Come on, I'll buy you one of them stupid umbrella drinks the two of you like so much. And as they walk off, a mysterious cowboy man watches from the seat of his pickup. Right, I called him the hangman, because we saw a noose in his hand before, and we see a noose in his hand again here. I, I like mysterious cowboy man, I mean... It's got mystery. And I like the hangman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we see him tying a noose here. He's just kind of playing with it. 
Oh man, so we see the hangman walk in here on the next panel, and he is an old-time Texas lawman. Morning, how bad y'all want to stay out of jail? Say what? Excuse me there, young lady. Thank you kindly. He says as he sits down in their booth. It's a simple question, son. I ain't your goddamn son, mister. No, you ain't. What you are, boy, is behind enough counts of Grand Theft Auto to put you away till the hair on your balls turns white. Begging you ladies' pardon. Yeah, so he introduces himself as Captain Tom Pickett, Texas Rangers, semi-retired. I hate the Texas Rangers. I mean, the <laughs> baseball team. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> I thought that was kind of unreasonable there for a second. <laughs> what did they ever do to you? Yeah, plus, you know, I mean, one of them is responsible for singing the theme song to Walker, Texas Rangers, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's so incredible. <laughs> Folks, I didn't know that the theme song to Walker, Texas Ranger existed until like two weeks ago. <laughs> or that it was sung by Chuck Norris. No, or yeah, or that it was sung by Chuck Norris. <laughs> sung. Yeah. Like fucking heavy scare quotes. <laughs> What's the line from True Grit? Something about if I ever meet one of you Texas boys, ain't drunk water from a footprint. <laughs> Uh, but this comic takes a rather more reverent view of the Texas Rangers. At least, this guy seems pretty cool, considering his role in the plot. He says that they've got enough counts of GTA, that they better listen to his offer, because he can put them right in jail, and also that he can take Jesse if he wants to. Wouldn't do neither of us no good, anyhow. Not when we can be so much help to each other. Now, Pickett, like Jesse, shares his name with a 19th century American general. George Pickett, who led the ill-fated final Confederate charge at the Battle of Gettysburg. And he was also the GOAT at West Point, which is the lowest-ranking student to graduate in his class. Oof. Mm -hmm. How did that guy end up in charge of a charge? Beggars can't be choosers? So they start talking about Landry. Yeah, Pickett is after Landry for selling horse flesh. He's a killer buyer, Pickett says. He sells old lame horses to France and Belgium for meat. But there's boys willing to pay extra for young, tender horse flesh. Kind you only get if you're prepared to steal it. Rustling, plain and simple, just like the old days. Pickett adds that his daughter Alice runs a horse farm. A couple of weeks ago, somebody stole 50 of their best stock, including Augustus, the smartest horse ever. And shot her husband when he tried to stop them. Now, Tim was so dumb he'd have to study up to be a half-wit. I don't think Alice will miss him too much, but 50 head of horses, including this big old bay stallion called Augustus, about the smartest creature ever to walk on four legs, well, that's another thing entirely. But the state of Texas doesn't have the budget to chase the culprits, so Pickett's out of retirement doing it himself. And now he needs someone to help entrap Langtree by offering to drive that truck full of stolen horses that Jesse refused to drive. Do we get deputized? No, you do not. We'll come back to that. Pickett adds that what they get out of this is his forgetting he found these three dumb kids with the stolen Testarossa. That's the fancy red convertible they've been driving. Now, I don't give a shit about no millionaire waking up and finding his goddamn Italian muscle cars gone missing. But I will do whatever's necessary to get back them horses. And what's to stop us just, say, killing you and getting away anyhow, Jesse says. Because even if you could, I don't think you would. Deal, boy? Deal, man. The comic explicitly here draws a connection between stealing horses and stealing cars, but it makes excuses for stealing cars. Jesse and company aren't stealing someone's transportation, only nice transportation, an unnecessary luxury. Conspicuous consumption. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're going to come back to why Jesse objects to horse thieving so much. So it's interesting that the comic makes excuses for what they've been doing. Well, like Amy says, they're robbing from the rich, even if they aren't giving to the poor. Yeah. 
Back in the truck, Amy and Tulip are talking about how dead sexy Captain Pickett is, and it's kind of on Jesse's nerves. Pickett? Hell, that old buzzard ain't even gonna last another winter. And don't let that smiling, sparkling-eyed good old boy act fool you, because that son of a bitch was ready to cook our goose. He's just lucky I'm playing along with his damn plan, that's all. He knows I got him buffaloed. I think he has Jesse pretty well buffaloed. <laughs> but hold on while I look up what buffaloed means. Oh, I thought, okay, all right, I was, I was ready. I was ready for you to learn, because uh, okay. I know what it means. Oh, okay, what does it mean? Well, I know how to use it <laughs> more than I know how to define it. It's like to stupefy someone with your awesomeness. To confuse, intimidate, or scare. Okay. Now, Tulip is amused by Jesse's pretensions, because he strikes me as the kind of guy you'd like to be when you grow up. Straight out of a movie, man of mine. 100% cowboy. I don't think any woman in real life has ever called a man man of mine. <laughs> that feels very much like Garth Ennis writing women badly, but mm. but I'm okay with it. I do think it's Garth Ennis writing women fairly well that they're having this conversation about how sexy Pickett is. Because it's the fucking truth. <laughs> and Jesse is frustrated <laughs> by it. Tulip asks why they're going along with this whole entrapment scheme. Because, Jesse says, this thing with the horses doesn't sit right. Amy and Tulip make fun of him. Why, Miss Tulip, I do declare, do y'all think this might be some southern thing? Why, I do believe you're right, Miss Amy. They drive past a sign that says, Welcome to Mule Shoe, and has been graffitied. At least I hope it's graffiti. <laughs> you sinned in a previous life. Yeah, they need to replace their tourism board, if, if that was the original design. Well, I mean, look, maybe they're trying a thing. Like those rude food places, you know? Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Like in the first episode of Mad Men, right? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, they yeah, coined it themselves. You're gonna die. Die with us. Oh, I see. You're talking about a different thing from the first episode of Mad Men. Look, there's a lot of cover in the first episode of Mad Men, and that's why our Patreon subscribers... <laughs> <laughs> How are we gonna connect that to Vertigo? Well, he falls out of a building. At the, in yes! The, in the credits. Vertigo. Done! <laughs> Okay, so Jesse's got a phone number for Langtree, but he has a feeling he isn't going to need it. A truck full of gun-toting thugs drives up. Langtree says, Been trailing you assholes all day. Who's the fossil? This here is Mr. Methuselah. I ain't the first Custer he's fought beside, but that don't make him no fossil. I like how Jesse has already adopted a kind of protective attitude about Pickett. of like, <laughs> I'm allowed to make fun of him for being old, but you're not. Right, yeah. How'd you find us in the first place, Langtree? Jesse goes on to say. And Donnie pulls a beaten, bloodied Bobby out of the car. Not an English policeman. It's Bobby, their co-conspirator from earlier. Remember this shit, bird? Well, you can forget him. And Donnie blows Bobby's head off. Yeah, with a shotgun at point-blank range. So I guess we've seen the kind of fight that Donnie's good in. Mm. And we see a little bit more fighting right now. Ready, boy? Ready, old man. This is pretty dope. We see that Pickett here has quite a fast draw because he goes from doing nothing the panel before to having his gun in his hand and firing it in the very next panel. And he puts a bullet right between the eyes of the heavy machine gunner in the back of Langtree's truck. Yeah, he's pretty fucking cool. And is this an old-fashioned peacemaker? Looks like it to me, yeah. This is the greatest handgun ever made. <laughs> Uh-oh. As we've sort of gotten used to in Big Fights and Preacher, while Pickett is shooting, Jesse is wading in with his fists. 
and he decks Donnie. Donnie says, this time, punk, and then he loses again. Jesse warns Tulip to drive away. Tulip and Amy do so, because there's that machine gun they don't want to fuck around with. Them girls be waiting for us? Out front, you think you can make it that far. As long as I don't die laughing. Shit. And they get away, but Jesse and the ranger are caught. Yeah, they run from the guys with the machine guns, they run into a bunch of other assholes, and they are captured. Everybody says shit. Jesse and Pickett get captured by a whole bunch of Langtree guys, and Amy and Tulip get away. Yeah, we see here at least that Tulip is cool enough under fire to assess the situation and do what she's got to do. She takes the suggestion to run even though Jesse gets caught. Yes, she's very resourceful. She's the one going to bust him out later. Yeah. So as evening is falling, Langtree has Jesse and Pickett captive in this Probably a spoiler to call it a slaughterhouse, but it's a slaughterhouse. And he decides to let them in on the fate in store for them. But then he doesn't. They get distracted. They spend a page posturing here. <laughs> yeah, there's some pretty good stuff on this page here. Came looking for horse thieves, Langtree. You sure seem to fit the bill. Murdering horse thieves after what you've done to that boy this afternoon. No end to my awful crimes. Well, I guess I ought to let you two heroes in on what's in store for you. This son of a bitch is mine for starters, and this time in a fair fight, here. I was you, I'd cheat like hell, Donnie, and shut up. And that's when Mr. Vichy arrives. We are now introduced to Langtree's buyer. Vichy, monsieur, Vichy, Napoleon Vichy, I have come to eat your horses. <laughs> well, that's a little on the nose, isn't it? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, Garthinus's half-joking francophobia rears its head yet again. <laughs> yeah, now, Napoleon, obviously, monarch of France and famed general Vichy, was the seat of government for Nazi-occupied France during World War II. The name is now often used as a slang adjective for collaboration with occupying forces. So, this guy has the most French, most offensive possible name. Yeah, all the bad things about being French. He's wearing... A purple beret and a bow tie. And he's very sweaty. Mm-hmm. And he's got a uh, pocket square. No, he doesn't. That's an actual hanky. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's true. So he's here to get the horses. He talks quite a bit about how great horse flesh is when eaten in Paris. Yeah, and he kind of... They have a little philosophical argument here about the eating of flesh. He thinks that Jesse is being sort of a hypocrite. You Americans with your stupid sentimentality about horses... How would you like if you sat down to one of your big juicy steaks and it was old and tough and stringy because the restaurant was not allowed to buy young cows? Poo-poo on your law! But Jesse retorts, Well, if you French boys like horse meat so much, how come you don't just raise your own? In Paris or wherever. Paris! Paris! Not this Paris! You Americans with your awful harsh grating accents. Oh, when will you learn to speak as we do? The language of love! <laughs> You speak German, mister? asks Pickett. Uh, no. No. We're why. Vichy doesn't like that, though. He shoots Pickett in the gut with his own six-gun. Yeah, Jesse yells, Son of a bitch! But Vichy backs him down, aiming the gun at him and instructing him to make his day. Except he says it in French. Faisez <laughs> mon <laughs> Oh my god, that joke. Alright, so, this distraction having consumed enough of their time, Langtree is finally about to tell Jesse and Pickett, who's not actually dead, what they've got coming. 
Right, and we get two pages of horses being slaughtered here. Yeah, this is very gross and disturbing, this montage of horse slaughter and butchery. Yeah, I haven't seen anything this bad happen to a horse since the first time we met the mountain. (laughs) So this apparently is what Langtree has planned for Jesse and company. Once they catch Tulip and Amy, he says, Y'all are going in there too, boys. Just for laughs as much as anything else. Which is, like, gross. I mean, of course it's gross, but, like, they're gonna kill Jesse and Tulip and Pickett and Amy all on the same equipment that they're using to kill the horses, which will render the horse flesh unedible. That's an angle I hadn't taken on it. Obviously, this comic is not setting us up to have much sympathy for the people who eat horses. No, but... and the butchery of horses is portrayed as fairly disgusting. We talked in the issue of Hellblazer about the, the pork slaughter, right? About, yes. is Jamie yeah. Delano a vegetarian? Because this comes off really anti-meat-eating. Well, this is definitely anti-horse eating. I think that despite, despite having made the point himself, Garth Ennis is displaying that same sentimentality about horses. Like, mm-hmm. I think this comic is trying to tell us that horse eating is like fundamentally more disgusting than meat-eating, which is fine for well, some reason. Yeah, I guess because the horse is like a noble animal that has a, a finer purpose. Mm-hmm. And again, we come back to what specifically Jesse objects to about horse killing. But anyway. Yeah, that'll come up later. But my point here is just that the people who are going to buy the horse meat would not want to buy it anymore if they knew that, that humans were killed using the same equipment. Yeah, true. Okay, so Jesse and Pickett have been tied to this pole and left alone. You know, as you do when you've captured the good guys. Yeah, and Pickett is making a puddle of blood because he's gut shot. And not long for this world. That's right. Shot a dozen sons of bitches with that damn peacemaker. Never figured on it ending up killing me. You ain't killed. Pickett points out Augustus, that big old fella with the one white ear there. Yeah, now Jesse says he's got it all under control. Reckon I can take care of it? Don't you mean I can take care of it, old man? No, sir, I do not. So that's a nice little moment. Developed a respect for Pickett. Yeah. They fall asleep, and they wake up to find Tulip untying them. Yeah, and Amy is here, too. Yeah, she's doing her sneaky pose. (laughs) She's got her hands out to the sides like that, you see? I never noticed until you pointed that out, how out of her depth she looks here. She's, like, dressed way too nice to break into a slaughterhouse to rescue somebody. And then Donnie shows up. You hurry up, Biff. Untie that bastard. Me and him got some business to finish. Y'all give me a minute, Jesse says. You point out he's talking funny because his nose and mouth are broken. Yeah. From his two previous encounters with Jesse. And their business goes down, much like you're probably expecting it to. Maybe a little worse than you're expecting it to. Jesse starts by kicking his eyeball out of his head. Uh, yeah, it's pretty nasty. You know, that boy Bobby, he was dumb and cowardly and kind of worthless, says Jesse as he picks up a cattle gun. But all the same, I guess this is for him. He finishes Donnie off with the cattle gun. Yeah. So, it's time to go. Jesse says, it's time, Captain. Pickett says, I swear, wish I could wait long enough to see it. Give him hell, Mr. Custer. And as he says this, he hands Jesse his lawman star. Yeah. His ranger badge. So, Jesse is deputized after all. I will, sir, he says, and we see. Pickett with his head down, shaded by his hat. Is he? Tulip asks. 
Yes, he is. Y'all want to help me set things right? So Jesse climbs on Augustus. He is instantly able to ride Augustus bareback, which is a testament either to how manly Jesse is or how smart Augustus is. Yeah, or just like how much of a cowboy fantasy this story is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He shoots Pickett's peacemaker up in the air, yelling for Langtree and company to come out and meet their maker. And they do. I like how he uses the word team-handed. <laughs> That's the only way they're going to get out of this is team-handed, which I thought was a funny <laughs> word. Meaning using teamwork? Yeah. And they also, like, he's talking to Augustus. The girls talk about how he's talking to the horse and say it must be a southern thing. Right. But yeah, Langtree's men come running. Jesse has fired the gun up in the air already. Tulip pulls the bolt on the gate. And the horses stampede. Yep, Jesse rides right up to Langtree, rearing Augustus up in the air. And Langtree gets a head smush from the big stallion. And he says, shit. Right, he says shit right before the hoof destroys the top half of his head. Yeah, which I feel like people say right before getting killed a lot in this show. It's fine. What's become of me? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you, you want to avoid this kind of panic in the animals. This is why they should have listened to Temple Grandin and used humane methods. Now all the horses know they're going to get killed. They stampede. Yeah. Thanks, Temple Grandin. Wasn't... Well, yeah, of course. I was going to say, wasn't it cows? But yeah, because they don't slaughter horses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In this country. So, Jesse tells Tulip and Amy to call the cops while he returns Augustus to his owner and deals with Vichy. I'm sure that Alice getting back her beloved horse will more than make up for her dad's death. And her husband. Yeah, she's really coming out behind in this whole affair. Jesse instructs Tulip and Amy to beat the heat by calling the cops and then hightailing it, and they'll meet up the day after tomorrow. That's an amazing turn of phrase. I like that. Beat the heat? Oh, yeah. He and is crazy, Amy says. He's my cowboy, says Tulip. Okay, now Jesse drags Vichy out into the desert behind the horse. He explains that a hundred years ago in Texas, a horse wasn't just transport. It was the difference between life and death. Well, what are you going to do to me? Hey now, don't interrupt. Without his horse, he was good as dead. Wasn't no breakdown service he could call. Hell, wasn't even no highway. And there sure as shit wasn't no goddamn insurance, neither. So stealing horses was taken pretty damn seriously back in them days. And horse thieves? Well, the outlook for them was generally kind of bleak. On the next page, Vichy is sitting on top of the horse uh, with a noose around his neck, which Jesse has just tied to the tree. Yeah, Vichy begs Jesse not to do this, offers him anything, even to be less French. Yeah, so stealing horses, bad, very bad. Being French, bad, very bad. But Jesse doesn't listen. He just slaps Augustus and the horse runs. And Vichy's only like a foot below the branch that the noose is thrown over, so we see him slowly strangle to death. Yeah, and poop and pee himself. It's all pretty gross. Yeah, it's pretty intense. It's really disgusting, and Jesse says, Damned if that don't look like justice to me. I mean, holy shit. This... Which is like, just shoot the guy in cold blood if you have to, but this whole thing is really... This struck you as over the top also? Oh yeah, so bad. Uh, okay, okay. Because this horse thing is like Jesse's personal eccentricity. It strikes me kind of crazy to kill someone for this crime while forgiving so many others. Yeah, I mean, let the horse trample him, you know, whatever you're going to do. But yeah, but yeah, this lynching is not all right. Vichy was a ruthless son of a bitch who was willing to kill people for his horse meat. But that's the real crime. The, the horse thieving is not as bad as that, Jesse. Yeah. And, and 
You know, once again, I find myself saying that it seems like Jesse killed a lot of people in this story, and he's usually more of an ass-kicking kind of guy. But I said that for like three, four consecutive arcs now, so maybe he just kills people a lot. <laughs> well, yeah, he's dealing with some, some, some ruthless motherfuckers in this issue. Particularly, the bad guys are villainized by their willingness and eagerness to kill Jesse's girlfriends. Yeah, that occurred to me too. And, and them the fact bitches were yes. always yeah. Yes, exactly. And the fact that they threatened Tulip and Amy, the fact that he's protecting Tulip and Amy makes him perhaps more vicious than he ordinarily would have been. Yeah. So Jesse rides Augustus off into an orange sky, and he asks the horse for advice. He asks the horse if three ways are a good idea, and the horse apparently says that three ways also are bad, very bad. If you were with this gal, well, this mare in your case, but you get the idea, and you loved her more dearly than anything in the world... And yet she had this friend who was real cute, and they were real close, and everything was real friendly between the three of you. Would you, seeing as it's been a fantasy you had ever since you were old enough to jerk off, and you try your best to be a real stand-up guy, but Jesus, you're only human, would you jeopardize everything you've got with the first gal who you are truly in love with, as opposed to the second gal who you just think is real sweet, by trying to get them both in the sack with you at the same time? Oh, I just cut the pun here, because Augustus responds, Nay! Nope. Neither would I. Oh, that's an atrocious pun. So this is really interesting. I kind of want to unpack this a little bit. Because this ending is a really crass way of thinking of Amy. You know, it's clear the reason Jesse never takes her seriously as an option is that he's totally real thing head over heels for Tulip. Yeah. Not just that he, like, objectifies her as a person. Mm Mm-hmm. Still, though, Amy has... Amy has a crush on Jesse, and we've seen that a bunch of times. Well, uh, yeah, and like I said, it helps to understand what happened with Cassidy. Yeah. Because it shows the kind of perils of that third wheel. Right. So Amy has this understanding that she can't come between Jesse and Tulip because she's been there. Right. She has this understanding that no one should. Right. Yeah. Amy has a line in a couple of issues, and I I sort of wish we'd read before this, where she says, uh, she's talking about Jesse and Tulip, and she says, basically, I wish I was you, either of you. Right? And... There's a couple ways to read that. One is just that she's, like, envious of them being in a larger-than-life love story. I kind of read it as implying that she's, like, romantically interested in either or both of them. Right. She's an OT3 shipper on board. (laughs) So she's in a weird position where she wants to be close to Jesse and Tulip, but she knows she can never be as good or as sure as they are. Right. She sort of backburners her own feelings, almost like she knows she's a secondary character in this comic. Anyway, I kind of wish that she had a, a bigger role in this, maybe that her feelings for the two of them were more examined. Because this is like the story of the good old days with Amy, and Amy's role in it turns out to be, well, she didn't do that much back then either. Well, yeah, and, and she was sad a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is kind of a bummer. It's kind of a bummer to be Amy and to be in this, like, third wheel situation where there's lots of good feelings, but her kind of real emotional needs are never really weighed yeah, or responded to. So yeah, I feel kind of bad for Amy. This is the second issue in a row where we've had to feel kind of bad for her because she's this third wheel. And like, she's just, you know, she kind of feels overshadowed by the intense, the intense irradiance of Jesse and Tulip's love. Yeah, yeah. We talked a little bit before about the idea that they're just like, they're so superlative. Yeah. They're the best. They're the prettiest and the best at what they do and the best at being in love. And it's like just natural that Amy falls in love with Jesse and or Tulip because they're so great. Right. 
Yeah. So I, I do think the last issue that we studied, it gave us more of a perspective from Amy, more of how she feels about it and really dealt with her character. Yeah. And, like, I don't want to put forward threesomes in, like, a, I don't want to defend threesomes in, like, a crass way, but the way that Garth Ennis kind of writes them off here strikes me as a little bit puritanical. Okay. And I do kind of think that, like, maybe there is a sense in which, like, a benefit of polyamorous relationships is that it would have given the three of them an outlet to resolve this tension and to yeah. to get everybody's emotional needs met in a way that the kind of third wheel dynamic just isn't doing. Right. And I said that it kind of bugged me that Jesse thinks about Amy this way by himself in the last page of the comic because he's he's thinking of her solely as a, a sexual prospect. We know that he thinks more of her than that. And we know, that, as I said, the real reason he's not considering it is that he's really in love with Tulip and he doesn't want to jeopardize that. Right. But he doesn't consider her emotional needs or interest in this page at all. And that's a little frustrating to me. Yeah. What do you think of this story as a prequel? Well, so this comic, it kind of doesn't do much. It's basically totally superfluous. Yeah. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, that's basically what I would say, too. Jesse, we see a little bit Jesse turning from being sort of more chaotic and selfish to being more heroic. But we can also see that that's in him already. Right. Yeah, we get Pickett, who's awesome as hell, and has a fast draw and makes little nooses for something to do with his hands since he doesn't smoke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ominous. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't think of that, but that's actually a more apt callback than Jesse's actual explanation, which is that the noose was like Pickett's thing. Right. He Pickett hangs anything. people and, and Vichy kills him. Right, yeah. He he lectures Vichy about being a horse thief, but he doesn't lecture him about killing Pickett, which is what he really deserves to die for. Yeah. And yeah, he does get hanged, which, you know, Pickett, they called him the hangman, or at least I did. <laughs> so, you should have known when you tangled with him that so many years later he would be referred to on the internet <laughs> as the hangman. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So, in our next Preacher episode, join us for a tale of the Irish in America. But first, join us next week for Sandman, as the Dreaming plays host to a murder of ravens. Vertiguise is written and hosted by me and Sean. Our music is by Kelly Joyce Fielder. Sean produces the show. I handle social media. If you like our show, why don't you check out our website at vertiguise.blueberry.com. We've got lots more episodes, plus show notes on every episode. If you want to reach us... Our email address is vertiguise at gmail.com. You can find us by searching Vertiguise on Twitter or Facebook. You can talk to Sean on Twitter at BlankCastSean. Hey, if you're enjoying the show, why don't you use whatever podcast software you listen to? Give us a positive rating or review. That really helps other people to find the show. And why not just tell a friend about Vertiguise? Yeah, spread the word. Recommend us if you know anybody who has ears. And <laughs> likes hearing things. That's really our target audience. <laughs> it's pretty important to what we're doing. <laughs> That's our demo. <laughs> uh, but as always, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Thanks, everybody.
So on the way over here, I was listening to Explain the X-Men, and they had a great interview with Kelly Thompson about her Rogan Gambit series. Yeah, that just got fucking canceled because of Jonathan fucking Hickman. You mean Mr. and Mrs. X got canceled? Yeah. Oh, that sucks. Was Kelly Thompson writing that too? Yes. Okay. Because... Every time I come over here, you tell me that a Kelly Thompson book got canceled. I know. It's a fucking bummer of a world we're living in, man. <laughs> it's a good interview. I recommend it. It's like a year old. I'm super behind. Right. But... I remember that interview. It was a good episode. Yeah, they were talking about... She was saying how she likes Gambit in pink because there's already enough characters who wear purple. And I'm thinking like, okay, Hawkeye, Hawkeye, Purple Man. She's written a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But then she said that she pictured Rogue and Gambit watching Rick and Morty together in bed. And I thought, there ought to be, you know, a Rick and Morty superheroes crossover comic where the superheroes watch Rick and Morty and learn that nothing is worth fighting for and then let a bunch of people die. <laughs> yeah. 